Welcome, everybody. Uh, we're going to open the meeting of City of Blue Ash City Council, Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Can we all rise and say the Pledge of Allegiance together? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, for all. Thank you. Jamie, will you please call the roll? Councilman Jeff Capel Here. Councilwoman Jill Cole. Here. Councilman Lee Zerwanka. Here. Councilman Brian Gath. Here. Vice Mayor Pramod Javeri. Councilwoman Katie Schneider. Here. Mayor Mark Serkin. Here. Seven present. Thank you. Jamie, will you please read the resolution 2023-45 by title only? We have to do the agenda. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do I have a motion to accept tonight's agenda? So move. Second. Second. All in favor. Aye. 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 Okay, Jamie. <laughs> Will you please read resolution 2023-45? I needed that title. extra minute to get my readers out. <laughs> resolution number 2023-45, a resolution adopting a 2024 tax budget. So the Ohio Revised Code requires governmental entities to prepare an annual tax budget, present it in a public hearing, and have the governing body accept the estimate. And I believe David or Sherry is going to make a few comments. Sherry just had her eyes thrown my way, so she wants me to make the comments. So <laughs> it is a um, annual process. It's it's pretty watered down compared to the um, more detailed budget that we do in the fall. But it is a good opportunity mid-year to uh, just check where we're at. Um, it's very limited in the things that we have to provide as part of this versus the other one. So it's really limited general funds. And I understand perhaps the purpose of it was just to make sure that the real estate taxes as part of the county appropriation is all set and what have you. But, but it's still a nice opportunity for you to look at it. Uh, there's not a lot of um, meat to those bones, but big picture, it shows that everything continues to look pretty good for this year. Right. Would anybody in the public care to comment on this issue only? Seeing no one, I'll close the public portion. Would there be any comments or questions from council? Seeing none, we'll close the council portion of this public hearing. Uh, Jamie, please read Ordinance 2023-06 by title only. Approving a concept planned unit development for a 9.8 acre portion of property located at 11500 Reed Hartman Highway. I'd like to make a motion to table the public hearing on Ordinance 2023-06 until, until August 10th, 2023 <laughs> at the request of the applicant. And again, all in favor? Aye. Great. Do I have a motion to approve the regular meeting minutes of June 8th, 2023? So move. So move. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Do we have any communications from to council? No, sir, Your Honor. Any reports from outside agencies? Seeing none. The mayor's reports for May 2023 and June of 2020, 2023 will be entered into the public record. Do I have a motion to accept the financial report for June of 2023? I'll move. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Great. We're going to move to hearings from citizens. If you wish to speak, please approach the microphone and state your name and address. If you have any materials to pass out, please give them directly to the clerk of council. 
Please keep your comments as brief as possible to allow others a chance to be heard. If your comments are similar to a previous speaker, it's much more effective to simply verbalize that you agree without repetition. Hearings from citizens is for us to listen to you and your neighbors. It is very unlikely that we will make any remarks immediately after you speak. We need to have a chance to reflect on your comments. Sometimes during miscellaneous business, later in the meeting, we do revisit an issue brought forward. The Clerk of Council will notify you when your turn of three minutes is over. Most importantly, let's treat each other calmly, kindly, and with respect. Is there anybody that would like to speak? Hi, my name is uh, Andrew Miller. I live at 4183 Jared's Way, which is in the Daventry in the neighborhoods at Summit Park. Uh, I am going to speak on two issues. Um, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, the first issue is one that I believe Council is aware of. It's been ongoing for some time, which is uh, fighting with MI Homes. Um, as you guys are aware, MI Homes uh, is responsible for the Daventry. And here we are two years later after they sold the last house, and they are still not done. Uh, in our development. Mainly we are fighting with issues with water drainage and with uh, turf repair, or actually in many cases installing turf in the first place. They haven't yet finished that. Um, primarily why I'm here is I'm not looking for specific action on your all's part. This is an issue that we have spoken to a few members of council before. Uh, Vice Mayor Javeri we've spoken to, and I believe Jim Friend has spoken to uh, uh, Councilman Zerwanka as well, at least at one point. We just want to get this on public record that the problem we're having is they continue to tell us that they will come and they will do the work and they show up and they don't do the work or they do the work in a very poor fashion that I would not consider workmanlike or acceptable for a representative um, doing work in what is public right-of-way space in many cases. So we continue to fight with them about this. We hope if you guys have communications with them, you will communicate with them that we are still not happy with the work that's being done and um, we would really like to have it all wrapped up this year if possible. Uh, second issue, um, I am part of the uh, Public Safety Committee for the uh, Residential Owners Association for the Daventry, uh, and we have drafted a letter concerning uh, our, uh, about our concerns for traffic on Parkview Drive, and I will read this as quickly as I can. Uh, the purpose of this letter is to request assistance from the public officials of Blue Ash, Ohio, in addressing an ongoing road condition on Parkview Drive. As you guys know, Parkview is the kind of the main road that goes past the park. Mm -hmm. Uh, all the way through the middle of our neighborhood. Our major concern is the excessive speed and carelessness of many automobiles and trucks on this roadway. We're requesting a possible solution to these concerns, including signage or physical changes to reduce the excessive speed, and of primary concern, protect our children and all community members from careless drivers. As this is already a great concern in our community, there is the additional population that will be shortly in the area due to the ongoing construction of Arabella. This is also uh, additional cut through traffic that is increasing each month as residents of the surrounding areas become aware of this extensive straightaway into Summit Park. As we are in the summer months, additional foot traffic from children and families is growing. There needs to be a permanent solution to prevent any potential injuries or damage. This request is intended to initiate an open dialogue with the City of Blue Ash in order to prevent a loss of life or injury to any of the community members or visitors walking or parking in the area. The ROA of Daventry at Summit Park, as well as the members of the Public Safety Committee, will look forward to discussing a robust solution for this problem in a timely manner. Uh, please find all contact information below. If you guys would like a copy of this, I can certainly get it to you, though I think uh, members of the council know how to get in touch with us. Um, really what we want to do is, is just make it clear that we think there is going to be a problem on Parkview, that even if there is not one currently, 
that there will be. And our problem is not primarily related to individual cars speeding on that road. It is the fact that due to the nature of the road, it is a long straightaway. And while there are parking spots on the side, they're frequently empty. And so they're not acting as diversions for speed. Um, and so we're concerned that people aren't paying enough attention as they drive down that road. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else like to speak? Seeing no one, we're going to move on to committee reports, finance and administration. Councilman Zerwanka. Thank you, Mayor. Um, Jamie, please read resolution number 2023-45 by title only. A resolution adopting a 2024 tax budget. Move to adopt resolution number 2023-45. Second. Any discussion? None. Jamie, please call the roll. Councilwoman Cole? Yes. Councilman Zerwanka? Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri? Yes. Councilman Gath? Yes. Councilwoman Schneider? Yes. Councilman Capel? Yes. Mayor Serkin? Yes. Seven yeses. Thank you. Um, Jamie, please read resolution number 2023 46 by title only. Providing for amendments within the 2023 Annual Appropriation Resolution number 2022-64. Move to adopt resolution number 2023-46. Second. Any discussion? None. Jamie, please call the roll. Vice Mayor Javeri? Yes. Councilwoman Schneider? Yes. Councilman Capel? Yes. Councilwoman Cole? Yes. Councilman Zerwanka? Yes. Councilman Gath? Yes. Mayor Serkin? Yes. Seven yeses. Uh, Jamie, please read resolution number 2023-47 by title only. Authorizing the city manager to enter into a professional services agreement with Land Solutions, Inc., doing business as Entrusted, in trust IT for support and implementation services, Microsoft 365 software licensing, and other annual IT maintenance costs. Move to adopt resolution number 2023-47. Discussion? I just had one question. Is this really all back office stuff or will it change? Like for instance, I know we just interface on via email, but will it change anybody else's experience with Oh, yes, that's, an, that's a good one. That's a positive. Yes. <laughs> okay, thanks. Any other questions? Mr. Zwag, I, I just wanted to, I, I bent uh, Mr. Klaps here a little bit on this this afternoon. I'm a little too interested in this sort of thing, and um, I was impressed by the level of work that's gone into this. This switch over from uh, hosting the software ourselves to, to uh, having it in the cloud as you were or software as a service has taken a lot of work and it's been a long time coming. So um, uh, well done to, to him and his team. Thank you to Dan Clapp there. Yes. Any other discussion? Seeing none, please call the roll. Jamie. Councilwoman Schneider. Yes. Councilman Capel. Yes. Councilwoman Cole. Yes. Councilman Zerwanka. Yes. Councilman Gaff. Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri. Yes. Mayor Serkin? Yes. Seven yeses. That's all I have, Mayor. Okay, we're going to move to Park and Recreation Committee, Councilwoman Schneider. Thank you, Mayor. 
Jamie, could you please read resolution number 2023-48 by title only? Authorizing the city manager to enter into a professional services contract for the rental and installation of a temporary ice rink at Summit Park. Move to adopt resolution number 2023-48. Second. Any discussion? Yeah, I've got yes. one question, then some comments after. My one question is, what's the approximate start and end date for this? And dates are uh, very similar to last year. We'll get started the week before Thanksgiving and wrap up uh, the Saturday after the first of the year. Okay. Yeah, then just some, some issues that I've had with this for several years is, first off, it's not utilized that much. <coughs> if we went all the way back to the beginning, uh, or back to before the pandemic hit, we had 14,000 paid skaters that year, which to me isn't deeply impressive. Then uh, the next couple years, that was sliced in half during the pandemic years. Um, which certainly raises the question of why did we sink $300,000 into that in the first place, knowing that the pandemic was going to crater the, the skaters who, who show up to it. And then last year, which I think we'd all agree was probably the first year that we were genuinely post-pandemic, we recovered a little over half of the loss count, meaning that we're still not even close to, to as far back as we were in 2019. So it's not, not used a whole lot, the, the financial situation is this is just a straight up money pit. We're losing easily, six, easily over six figures a year, could be as much as 140 or 50,000, uh, depending on uh, how the exact numbers go that year. As far as rec staff time, if we even just look as recently as the, the city manager's comments in the recent performance evaluation, we were, it was said to us that between the town square uh, redevelopment, the mad tree build out, and then two other maintenance facilities that, that rec staff time is just at, is maxed out. But then here, here we would be adding to that even further. And then you look at is this available elsewhere? So there, there's certain things government has to do. You gotta do police, you gotta do fire, you gotta do roads. Providing ice skating in your park is a different situation. Go less than two miles from our park, there's another ice skating facility privately owned, and then go a mile north of that is yet another ice skating facility. So this is a service that is already available. So th then when we, we put it all together, this when this started years ago, this was a winter skating rink. We're now closing it right after New Year's Day, which kind of makes this more of a Christmas ornament than a winter amenity than anything else. It's not used that often. It's a big money pit. It's consuming staff time that could probably be spent better elsewhere. And we're not even providing a service that isn't readily available just nearby. Just because something's not on Blue Ash Island or Summit Park Island doesn't mean that it's not widely available to everybody. So I just don't think this is a smart idea and I'm, uh, as in previous years, not gonna support it this time. So are you saying you'd like to have it open longer so that it's open all winter? If we had better demand and better finances to back it, that would certainly change the equation. Uh, I have some comments. <clears throat> Uh, since weather has been changed for last few years, uh, not few years or more than that, 
So when the November comes, the weather is still very, very warm. So it's just very hard to continue keeping the ice, link, uh, ice uh, uh, ring uh, to keep it cold and everything. And by the time we have cold weather, we are closing down on a January. So what I like to see instead of November to January, I like to propose uh, do the December to February. So the January and February, we always have a hard, uh, our temperatures goes down. So if that is a possibility, I like to propose that one. I do not know. So that's on the table. That's what I like to see. The, the system, the, I love the rink. Everybody likes it. Uh, all the, our constituents and their children, they really enjoy when they go there. So it is, it's a good thing to give a service to the, our community. There's no question about that. But I just want to see the timing. Fair. Um, I, I am surprised every time I go to uh, Summit Park how many more people there are than the last time I was there. Oh, yeah. We were there um, two nights ago uh, at 7 o'clock, and Tahona's line was out the door. Uh, somebody had on hula skirts for some reason underneath <laughs> the, uh, the glass canopy, but there really wasn't anything else going on, but the parking was full. There were people everywhere. They were having a good time. I think as um, the development uh, adjacent to the park comes up, as those homes uh, have been filled and now the townhomes are coming, we, we're building up more and more people there. Uh, I think the, um, you know, it's kind of one of those um, if we, we, if we build it, they will come. If we have something that creates energy, it provides more energy for the other things around it. Um, so I, I'm in favor of this. The, the logic that if something's available within a reasonable distance, we shouldn't do it. Um, I mean, if you extended that to say, well, there's, there's, a, there's a rec center uh, in, in, uh, you know, that you can pay to at, at TriHealth, we shouldn't have a rec center. There are, there's a pool at the Y, we shouldn't have a pool. Uh, there's fireworks at Evendale and Reading and, and several other places, much closer than the ice skating rinks, we shouldn't have that. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I suppose uh, someone might argue that those are different in some way, but uh, I, I think this is a great amenity for the, for the park. I concur. Um, it's not a service, it's an amenity, and everything we do in this city is an amenity. It's why people live here. These are the, the amenities why people do live here and enjoy what we do. Yeah, they could be someplace else. They could do a golf course someplace else. They could do a, the swimming pool in the rec center, to your point. Um, we built Summit Park as a, an attraction for our, not just our residents, but everybody. And the businesses there need that synergy all year round. And the ice skating rink covers the winter months, or winter period, I should say. Um, I think it's a great idea. And frankly, if it worked out that we could expand it, great, that's fine. But uh, I also trust in the numbers for when we do it, so. I don't think you can look at just the number of tickets sold to understand how many people that's attracting because parents are bringing their children, there's other family members coming to watch, and again, that synergy, they're coming to the park, and maybe they're skating, and then they're also going to get ice cream. 
They're also going to eat dinner. So it's bringing in, there's so much more outside of just the number of tickets that you're selling <clears throat> or the benefit that that's bringing. So I support this. I do as well, and I think it's important to continue to have that activity um, up at the park, and as, as hopefully our Mad Tree um, project works out, there's just going to be more traffic. And unfortunately, PJ, that's a great idea to try to time it with the weather, but we never know what the weather's going to be, you know, as but you know, still, in Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, but and some of it's maybe around school, you know, schools <clears throat> being open and so forth, I would think. Um, but I, I think it's important to support bringing activity into the park to help It'd be a wonderful amenity, as Lee said, and to, um, again, help the restaurants and the other businesses that are there. Yeah, I will, I will uh, concede that it's, it's, it's not our most successful event per dollar, per activity, and what have you. It's just part of what, um, and, and we continue to try to challenge ourselves. I know Brian um, tries to figure out what's the sweet spot and what have you, but some of you were touching on it, and it is, you know, it's easy to program a lot of stuff in uh, June, July, August, and September. It's, what do you do during that off period to help supplement those businesses, to help do the, is it a perfect solution? Um, I, I, I just don't think we have one yet. We we're not quite cold enough to have an ice castles and chainsaw sculpture contest like they are in Wisconsin. They just embrace it, right? But we're not warm enough like uh, Florida or something to do a festival. So we're stuck with this kind of in between. And so we can, you know, I think, um, take, take some uh, comments away from this that, you know, Jeff's comments and criticism, we can still look for ways to improve that and try and do other festivals. I've asked us to look at that. So that doesn't mean this is, this is the only solution. But yeah, I, I think for now, keep experimenting with it and then see what else we can add to it or reduce this or, or expand the hours and go from there. It's just a tough time of year to do some program, but you want to keep parks activated. You want to keep that area activated. And Mr. Gatt's point, we're, we're getting more and more amenities out there in terms of other residents and what have you. So it's kind of an ongoing experiment is what I would say. So, if you don't mind. Why are we shutting this down? right after January 1st, particularly if it's as popular as everybody seems to indicate and it's as important as others indicate to have things going on in January and February? I can answer that, Jeff. So for the first two years we had the rink open, it was open from the Thanksgiving Friday through, uh, I believe it was President's Day or MLK, one of those first couple holidays. Um, so what we decided to do, we, we left the rink open from January through the end of that season, it absolutely plummets. It's no different than a pool in August. It's just not the thing to do at that point in time. So almost 75 to 90%, I think, I, I don't know what that exact number was, but it was a very, very high percentage of our usage came from Thanksgiving to Christmas. You just have to make hay when you can. And that's when people want to come out and skate, they're on vacation, et cetera. So what we actually did is we lapped off that end of the season and we saved on our contractual dollars with the group that sets up the rink. It become much more efficient. Um, and I know David mentioned it might not be one of our most efficient. It actually is. I mean, I'd hate to look under the hood of all the different, you know, how is REC doing in terms of profits and subsidy, et cetera. It's like Lee said, it's a service, not necessarily anything that we've ever been targeted to say, hey, what is the ROI on this program that benefits the youth or this fitness program, et cetera. I think everybody here understands why we do what we do and we have the budgets that we do. The rink is one of our most successfully, financially successful elements that we put together at the end of the day, if you really want to take a close look at it. Our, our revenues last year were up almost 20% from the year before. 
Um, of course, we were coming back from um, pandemic, but it was our record-setting revenue year at the ring. So I just, I'm not sure where those numbers are specifically coming from. It's, it's very good. The restaurants love it. And if we did not do it, it would be a tragic thing for the restaurants. I really think that we'd be answering some questions from them that we probably don't want to ha handle at this point in time because we've told them it's, the park is 365. And so instead of an event that is four hours long and cars ice or does whatever it is or holiday lights or something like that, this lasts a very long time. You know, and there's, it's the longest running quote unquote event that we have in Summit Park. The rest of them are afternoons. So this bang for the buck, I would argue that it's probably one of the best things that we have. Um, just one more thing. Uh, just, is it possible for us to do instead of November to December, this November to January, instead of December to February? Thanks, or go one more month instead of ending at January? Because last, there is a call in January and February. People want to come. I was there for a few years. So just I'm asking that if it's a possible, sure. it's, if it's, it's a good thing to do that. But if it's a possible, then we have a lot more activities and a lot more attendees over there. So we have a more, more revenue. And plus, people enjoy more. Because every time I went there in January, finishes. Why? We, we just have a cold here, so I want to get out. Sure, yeah, I can understand. So this is yeah. the situation I, I felt outside. Ironically, we found the opposite. People want to skate when it's 55 degrees outside because it's nice outside and they're going Christmas shopping and they're out to dinner and, and they're on vacation, et cetera. When it gets to 15 degrees and it's great because we don't have to turn the chiller on and it's very efficient to run the rink, nobody wants to be out there. So the second season when we realized that from January through, you know, MLK or President's Day, excuse me, I can't remember what the holiday is that we would stop because the kids would be out that weekend. The only weekend it was busy was when those kids were out on that last final weekend. So what we actually did the second year is we said, okay, let's pump our programs into it. We pulled all of our programs, like the broom ball, the ice curling, the turkey bowling thing, all this fun stuff that we did. It was only, it was only available in the evenings because that's the only time when people would come and do it. So it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that second year is when we kept it open. So it just felt very inefficient to us for the same reasons that we're talking about the rink in general. The actual purpose of not doing it January and February were for means of financial you know, efficiency. Okay. We can do whatever you want though, PJ. We can open it up in June. <laughs> we, can, we can have it as a feature the 4th of July in the hospitality tent. I mean, we can make it work. <laughs> if it's possible, then do it. Yeah. If it's possible, then why not? Disney World does it. Okay. Any other discussion? Jamie, could you please call the roll? Councilman Gath? Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri? Yes. Councilman Capel? No. Councilman Zerwanka? Yes. Councilwoman Schneider? Yes. Councilwoman Cole? Yes. Mayor Sirkin? Yes. Six yeses, one no. <clears throat> Thank you, Mayor. That's all okay. I have. We're going to move to the Planning and Zoning Committee. Vice Mayor Javeri, Chairperson. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I have a, a motion uh, that is a, a motion to set a public hearing for Thursday, August 10th, 2023 at 7.05 p.m. to consider an, an application for a conditional use permit at 4309 Cooper Road in the R2 medium density residential zoning district. Second. Uh, Everybody say, rogue, yeah, no? Yeah. All in favor, yay. All in favor, yes. 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 Okay. Uh, but 
if somebody can explain what, what is this, uh, can you tell me what, what's going on here? 43 and is some new company coming in, they're asking for the changing? Well, we'll let the applicant do that uh, during the uh, hearing when that happens. <laughs> but if you're asking, this is simply the property next door, yes. the church, and, and um, there's a proposal by a potential purchaser to use it um, for the, the masons of some sort. But beyond that, let someone else, let the applicant uh, give its pitch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any other question, discussion? That's all on the motion. Uh, I have a resolution, uh, second one. Uh, resu uh, Jimmy, can you read the resolution 223-49 by title only? Providing for the appointment of Cheryl Blakeman as an alternate member to the Board of Site Arrangement and Board of Zoning Appeals for the City of Blue Ash. Okay. Mayor, would you like to take a... Do we have a second a and vote oh. on it? Do we have a motion and a second? I have a motion for the second. Mm -hmm. Do we have and a second? I'll move to adopt? So yeah. Okay. Councilman Javeri moved to adopt, and we need a second and discussion and I'll a vote. I'll second. Okay. Motion second? Yes, we have a second. Okay. So this is the uh, person, uh, he's been there for a long time, uh, serving our board, and we appreciated her services, everything. And uh, we'd like to uh, welcome her, and uh, Mayor, can you proceed Don't you need to, to call the roll? Did we need to vote? Yeah. Do we yeah. have to roll call? Yes, we have okay. a roll call. Can you roll the roll call, please? Councilman Zerwanka? Yes. Councilwoman Schneider? Yes. Councilman Capel? Yes. Councilwoman Cole? Yes. Councilman Gath? Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri? Yes. Mayor Serkin? Yes. Seven yeses. Thank you for serving on BZA. I did it for eight years. It's wonderful. You get to meet all these great very interesting. Mayor and Cheryl, could you come over and sign these, please?
Congratulations. That's all, Mayor. As always, thank you so much to everybody who serves and helps us out and makes our life so much easier. Okay, moving on. We're going to move to the Public Works Committee, Councilperson Jill Cole. Thank you, Mayor. Jamie, would you please, please read resolution number 2023-50 by title only? Authorizing the city manager to enter into a contract for the Blue Ash 2023 culvert repairs for the unit prices as shown on the attached bid summary. Move to adopt resolution number 2023-50. Second. Um, this is just a normal part of our routine, and the nice thing about this, the way the work is being done, it shouldn't in impact traffic, which is always a great thing. Um, does anybody have any questions or comments? I would just, I'd be curious to know how this, uh, how we're going to have this not impact traffic, considering where it's at. Gordon? <laughs> yeah, so typically what they do is they'll set up uh, uh, their equipment on the side of the road. So uh, recently, they did this up uh, near DeBella's on Reed Hartman Highway. So all the work, even though they did have a, we allowed them to take a lane in the roadway um, just for safety purposes, but all of their equipment was off into the grass area. So it's, it has a very low footprint. And since they're working inside the pipe itself, they just have to have the access to the manholes, which are on the side of the road. So it should uh, be very minimal impact. Good. Cause Work has to be done, it has to be done, but if it doesn't impact traffic so badly, even better. Any other questions or comments? Jamie, would you please call the roll? Councilman Capel? Yes. Councilwoman Cole? Yes. Councilwoman Schneider? Yes. Councilman Zerwanka? Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri? Yes. Councilman Gaff? Yes. Mayor Sirkin? Yes. Seven yeses. Thanks, Jamie. Would you please uh, read resolution number 2023-51 by title only? Authorizing the city manager to enter into a contract for the 2023 Blue Ash Recreation Center air handling unit replacement project for the unit prices as shown on the attached bid summary. Move to adopt resolution number 2023-51. Second. I think the title is pretty self-explanatory unless anyone has any questions. I think we turned up the temperature in here tonight just to make sure that we understand how important it is. Air conditioning is, yes. <laughs> Mrs. Cole, I want to point out what, um, uh, that, that how well this reflects on our city. Um, this is a major air, air conditioner, it's an air handler on top of the rec center, and it wasn't, we ran it until it broke, and then it's a crisis, and the, you know, the whole rec center is down. And we got to scrape together our pennies and our dimes to make this six-figure expense. But it was a planned expense, um, and uh, it's handled in a way that we actually are ending up with a more efficient unit that uh, will cost less or use less energy to, to cool uh, than the old one did. It, it, it just reflects how professional our city is about these things, and I, it reflects well on, on uh, uh, all of our staff. Any other questions? Jamie, would you please call the roll? Councilman Zerwanka? Yes. Councilwoman Schneider? Yes. Councilman Capel? Yes. Councilwoman Cole? Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri? Yes. Councilman Gath? Yes. Mayor Sirkin? Yes. Seven yeses. Thank you, Jamie. And that's all I have, Mayor. Okay, we're going to move to miscellaneous business. We're going to first have an update on an economic development strategy study. Okay, are you going to give a little segue? Or do you want me to? I will. 
So I know that um, the city manager has shared with you a couple of times that we were doing um, an economic development review. As you guys are aware, the office market was softening pre-pandemic and then it just totally melted. So we commonly get questions, what can I do with the land that I have available? What can I do with this building site? And we were trying to help answer those questions with some possibilities, um, obviously. We're just presenting you with a range of options, and then we would like council feedback on this. But we hired Emil, and I'm going to butcher his last name, Liznansky? Liznansky. Um with Envision Group out of Columbus to do this work for us. So he um, took a look at all sorts of statistics and demographics and shifts and things, and he's going to present his findings tonight. And he wants to try this microphone, so we'll see how he does. I will give it a shot here. Okay. So I think Kelly gave a pretty good uh, intro and background on the study, but tonight I will step through an overview of the study, who we talked to as far as regional stakeholders, uh, themes that arose from those interviews, data uh, that we looked at quantitatively, and then based on the stakeholder feedback and data, some strategic recommendations for your consideration. And then obviously Q&A uh, with you all. So obviously, I think we all know the pandemics shifted uh, the commercial office real estate markets. And in Blue Ash here, like uh, any municipality, office, professional office was the highest and best use of land from a municipal revenue standpoint. Um, and obviously, this new normal post-COVID starts to uh, bring into question whether that's viable for all the properties you have out there. So as the city approaches build out, uh, we want to ensure the highest and best use of remaining available development areas. We want to evaluate the need for potential incentives as well as amenities to support the development you want to see. Again, with a uh, focus on your bottom line from a municipal revenue standpoint. Um, and to do that, we gained perspective from regional stakeholders and confirmed our findings with quantitative data. Um, I'll touch briefly here on the interviews we conducted uh, earlier this spring in April and May. Uh, there was 21 interviews that took place. Uh, these topics were rather open-ended discussions. Some people spoke for 10, 15 minutes after we gave them a little background. Others needed a little more prodding. But the focus was the topics I just covered as far as what is the new normal post-COVID and how do we develop land to its highest and best use. Uh, interviewees were a cross-section of regional stakeholders. We had developers, we had landlords, we had property managers, economic development professionals, and local corporate tenants. Um, so I'm gonna touch on the consensus themes, and as I go through some of these, I'll talk about areas where people had some mixed opinions, but these were kind of the big ticket items that almost everybody agreed on. Um, just to start off, post-COVID, people felt that we really needed to embrace non-office uses. Doesn't mean we go away from office, we still want office, we know that's our highest ROI anytime we can have a professional working in here and paying income tax for it's earned in the city. But also acknowledging not all that office space is ever likely to be filled. Strategic incentives are gonna be necessary to address some target properties. I'll talk about those properties as I get into this. These would be your less desirable spaces and I'll talk about what that means and how the market's performing there. Uh, continued focus, this is a thumbs up, keep doing what you're doing. I heard a lot of discussion in, uh, through the council uh, items here about Summit Park and people were so complimentary of what you've done there. 
And without us even asking questions, they brought that up as a reason why they're in Blue Ash, why they look to expand here, why people think Blue Ash is an attractive place to locate a business. Placemaking uh, and connectivity as well, when we talk about the active transportation, your bike paths, your sidewalks. Again, I'm an urban planner by trade, so I usually ask questions about those things. This came up unsolicited as a huge benefit to the community. Even for people who don't have an office right in Summit Park, they said they love having that access for their employees to get there, whether it's at lunch or after work. Co-working space was something we asked about kind of in this new, a flexible um, new normal of COVID and how desirable that would be. Everyone agreed that would be beneficial, certainly to startups and businesses that are scaling up, um, but there were some mixed opinions there on how realistic of a target that is uh, in a suburban environment like Blue Ash. Pretty much everybody brought up the need for more housing uh, in the community just because of the re regional housing shortages. Um, all types across the spectrum were desired, but certainly that mixed use, higher density was felt to support more development and more corporate tenants. And last but not least, our three target development areas, uh, the remaining tracts of land at Summit Park, the former P&G East Campus up on the north side of town, and then the northwest um, corner of the downtown intersection. Well, all areas we asked some targeted questions on, and we'll have a deeper dive on some recommendations. Um, so the big takeaway here was that people felt the Class A office space, the most desirable space based on layout, architecture, and amenities, um, is doing fairly well, a little bit, um, not quite as well as the market, which I'll get into, but it's the B and C space, um, the less desirable space that may need to be modernized, um, that they were most concerned about. Um, everyone kind of pointed out that downtown Cincinnati took this the hardest um, just because of the need to park in downtown Cincinnati and pay for that. Um, suburban locations like Blue Ash in some ways are more desirable and offer a more central location to the workforce, which a lot of people brought up. Our employees work over all over Southwest Ohio and into Northern Kentucky. So being in Blue Ash is a great place to be. It's easy to get to. Um, everybody was pretty consistent that right now in the development world, uh, no one's getting financing to build speculative office development. So an office that you're building without an end user in mind. You're just looking to lease out the space after you build it. That's just not a reality in today's market. And to be honest, that was quite challenging before COVID. As far as incentives, um, the general feedback from a traditional standpoint with incentives was Blue Ash was viewed as traditionally business friendly, but not necessarily proactive in economic development. And that's not because um, you guys were making a mistake or doing anything wrong. It was just a place where people wanted to be and wanted to locate. So there wasn't a need to go out there and offer up all sorts of incentives to get people here. Um, given that we're in this kind of new normal mode, we may want to look at incentives for smaller employers. And that could be a firm under 500 people. That could be a firm with 50 people looking to scale up, showing growth potential. Um, and that could be for coming into town or upgrading or expanding in a location already here. And when we get into that Class B and especially Class C office space, we may need to consider incentives for real property enhancements there, community reinvestment areas, tax abatement, that type of thing. Um, to modernize those spaces. Amenities, as I touched on, Summit Park, keep doing what you're doing, keep working on your sidewalk and pathways plans. Um, as far as private business amenities, um, additional restaurants came up quite a bit. 
uh, from the business community. And this was just more diversity in restaurants, but also the need for a more upscale option to entertain clients um, here in town. A lot of people mentioned they go somewhere else uh, to take somebody for a steak or something of that nature when they're entertaining. And uh, repeatedly, we had desires for a quality business class hotel in close proximity or within, ideally, Summit Park. Um, obviously, there are a lot of hotels in Blue Ash, and we know some of them aren't performing all that well, which I'll get into. Uh, as far as co-working space, uh, this would certainly be desirable, but a lot of people pointed out you're seeing this more in your trendy neighborhoods like OTR's one, it's got one that's popped up by Finley Market or under construction. You see something uh, down in Kenwood, your Oakleys, those type of places. So it's a little bit more of a challenging um, type of end use to finance because the people who are coming in there, the tenants are sh uh, signing shorter term leases uh, rather than like a three to five year office lease. Uh, one thing that did come up, though, as a repeated need and desire from the business community was meeting space for corporate events. And it was brought to my attention by staff here that there's several places and event centers and, uh, within the community already, and some of that might just be helping market those and get the word out. But a lot of people said when we have more people come into town uh, for some kind of corporate seminar, some kind of internal corporate event, we either leave town to rent space to do that if our office doesn't have those amenities, or we like use a hotel conference room. So that came up uh, repeatedly. Uh, residential uses, um, again, this was something that's a regional issue. Uh, you don't live in a bubble here. Um, but multifamilies, from a development standpoint, is the easiest to get financing for. Uh, more, more rooftops would help support kind of that 15-hour city. Again, not that we're going to be a party environment here, but a family-friendly uh, community that still has entertainment options that are, are available after 5 p.m. And it was really felt that, you know, that's an area that you made huge strides with Summit Park and hopefully uh, the proposed development downtown as well as continued expansion in Summit Park uh, perpetuates that. So getting into the three target sites um, at a high level, Summit Park was felt to be something where you're going to have to be a little bit more creative if you want to see the remaining track of land developed in the near term. Obviously, long term, a corporate tenant that builds a headquarters there is going to be the most desirable thing from your municipal revenue standpoint. Um, but some type of experience, retail, entertainment venues, some mix uh, may be appropriate to get that developed in the shorter term. Uh, the former P&G East Campus, uh, everybody felt like this was a really strong location, highly developable. Uh, just based on its proximity to the interstate and uh, the interchange there. But some slight tweaks to the zoning code uh, might be required here to get a, uh, that financed and to a tenant, uh, an end user. Uh, specifically the fact that um, a high percentage right now of the site uh, cannot, a building space could not be used under the zoning code for warehousing and distribution. And obviously, you want jobs in the city. There's a reason the zoning code does that. You don't want to just have warehouses here. And it's probably not the most competitive place for a straight up logistics and distribution facility. But if we can think about ways of having a more modern tech, uh, tech flex space there, where we have some office, some maker space, where we have people actually running machines, and some uh, dock bays and storage and distribution, that might be a more appropriate mix. Uh, downtown Blue Ash, 
Um, there were a lot of comments, you know, as we talked about downtown. Some people said, I don't know if Blue Ash really has a downtown. So, you know, we pointed them to the intersection. They said, yeah, I know where that is. I get it. I've heard about that development. And the comments were not so much that it was a uh, bad plan for that site, but that that's a challenging area from a uh, development standpoint, just because it's kind of suburban and you're looking to do this mixed-use thing on one quadrant uh, while the other ones are more of a traditional strip plaza, suburban, auto-oriented layout. But everybody liked the plan there and felt what has been proposed but hasn't been able to go forward yet is appropriate. Um, just to take a look at some data for a second here, um, based on CoStar and some local realtor reporting, um, I'm showing some numbers from Cincinnati. Uh, the urban market, which is the city proper, which includes downtown and the uptown areas primarily, and then Cincinnati suburban as a whole, all the suburbs around 275, inner ring, outer ring. And then highlighted there in the bottom is Blue Ash Montgomery as a submarket. Uh, I think the most important takeaway here is on that direct vacancy um, piece, you're about eight uh, percentage points higher in vacancy than the suburban uh, submarket <coughs> as a whole. So, you know, you're having a little bit of trouble filling up the space um, that was leased up pre-COVID relative to some of the other uh, suburbs in the area. And some of that's just, you do have a lot of office space. Um, I will want to point out here that your class A space, the most desirable space, <coughs> the most modern space, within a more uh, detailed look at that, you're only 3% higher than that regional suburban average, so not underperforming as, poor, as much as the Class B space, you're 9% higher. So again, that kind of confirms the qualitative feedback we received from the development community on the need to encourage and possibly incentivize upgrades to that more dated Class B and Class C office product. We also did something, uh, we have access to cell phone tracking data through a company called Placer AI, and this is, they basically, long story short, have an algorithm that takes a certain percentage of cell phone pe people who have their permissions set on, uh, company buys the data from them, and then it extrapolates based on travel patterns, where these people are going, how long they're staying. So uh, your big time retail establishments use this, Amazon uses this, and realtors use this for you know, workplace and other uh, real estate analyses. But we looked at pre-COVID, um, going back to uh, 2017, and uh, post, during COVID and now what I would call post-COVID, to see where monthly visitation um, at these different offices uh, were tracking. And we looked at the landings, Vista Business Center, and Fountain Point. And we saw that office visits overall were down 66% um, from pre-pandemic levels at those uh, office locations. So definitely kind of speaks to what we all know. Some places, people never came back. Um, others, people working three days a week or some type of hybrid model. Um, and this is just an example here that's from Fountain Point that kind of illustrates that. Starting on the left in May of 2017, uh, you saw visits were around four to 5,000, peaked around 6,000 in 2018 went down a little bit and then kind of came back up uh, before the pandemic. You can see the pandemic in the center there in red. Uh, that was the governor's state of emergency, the kind of the height of it, um, visitation way down. And then it's trended up a little bit, but kind of 
up and down since, but still never got back to pre-pandemic levels. But I think the graph is interesting. This was kind of a good representation. They were all similar. You saw that before you get to the left of the first um, red bar there, so like 2019, you're already seeing drop-offs in a valley there from kind of 2017, 2018. So office, this wasn't something that just happened all because of COVID. Office has had some struggles um, in the years before COVID. So just to wrap up here with some strategic recommendations, and again, just this is not a uh, formal, um, you know, something to adopt here. These are just some considerations for you as you start to discuss policy going forward. Uh, for Summit Park, uh, office alternatives should be considered for undeveloped land. Um, if a developer should want to deviate from the current zoning, uh, those deviations should be supported by a fiscal impact analysis to quantify what their development will ultimately do for uh, municipal revenue streams. And if they're, you know, we've heard proposals for event venues. Um, we've heard other people talk about interest and demand in the area for um, sporting, um, like youth sports, travel team sports. Anything like that that's experience oriented, there should be a memorandum of uh, understanding between a developer and an operator with the city to ensure that programming is actually gonna take place, not just at a few events, but that you have different uses coming in there um, so that that's a well-programmed space and not something that sits vacant 90% of the time. You want bodies there if that's gonna be part of the mix. Uh, former P&G campus, this was more of a slight um, adjustments to the zoning code for the BAN district um, just to facilitate that flex industrial or what some communities like Dublin up in the Columbus area, which a lot of people mention is kind of a small, you guys being a smaller scale of Dublin as a comp for a very highly desirable suburban uh, office environments was to just facilitate maybe a more flexible use of maker space, office space in conjunction with some type of warehousing and distribution. Uh, for downtown Blue Ash, uh, again, the plan that's been in place is solid, um, but we understand that there's been issues with that moving forward on the de private development side. This might be something where you want to consider empowering a community improvement corporation to come in and facilitate that development process uh, should the current developer efforts fail. Uh, moving to citywide themes more broadly, again, incentives for Class BC office space may be necessary to modernize those spaces. Uh, this could take place in the form of a community, community reinvestment area. It could also be a job creation um, grant for a company that's coming into town or a job retention grant for one that's staying in town and is looking to modernize and expand. Um, in some cases, some of the more dated office product may be candidates long-term for demolition and then redevelopment to flex industrial or multifamily residential. Uh, hospitality, we looked at a lot of data on hotels. There's quite a few hotels within of the city that rank within their respective chains in the 15th or 20th percentile within those chains. So the bottom one eighth or one fifth. Um, some are obviously just eyesores and you probably have some problems with that are well documented. We heard that consistently. Um, those might be candidates for strategic acquisition through the city, through a community improvement corporation, or just encouraging uh, developers to come in there and take a look at those properties as they become available. Uh, residential, again, additional housing units to support local retail and workforce. And generally, that strategic acquisition and site assembly 
Um, I just want to stress that Community Improvement Corporation can be a vehicle to acquire properties, strategically land bank them over time, and then put them out through a redevelopment process uh, for a request for proposals where you're looking at somebody's development team and not just what they want to buy the property for, because in a lot of cases, it's a, if it's a distressed property, they're expecting to get it for pennies on the dollar. But more importantly is what's their vision for the community? How are they going to develop that space? And what's their track record in actually getting things done? Um, so with that, I'll open it up to questions, comments from you all. When you talked about the need for a business class hotel, you, know, you did mention we do have a lot of hotels here. There's an embassy suites just right off Summit Park. Why is that not considered a business class hotel? Yeah, there was just, I think, a need for a more, um, a little bit more upscale boutique type of uh, hotel. I, if I was, I'd say like a comp would be maybe like an aloft, um, something along those, it's just a little bit uh, fresher of a brand. Um, again, I, I have no problem with Embassy Suites. I've stayed there when I've been in town. So to me, that is a good business class hotel. But that was just some of the comments we got. And then regarding B&C office space, um, it may have been in the recent past. And before that, you could have B&C office space here and do quite well because it's office space in Blue Ash. Obviously, that, that market has changed. Just like in malls, uh, the, the lower you go in, in the, the mall classification, the, the worse you're getting to where really it's just class A malls that are succeeding at this point. So given the historical success of B and C office space here, did you sense that there might be some lethargy on the part of the owners of B and C office space, just some resistant to, to pulling the trigger on making the changes? We didn't hear anything uh, to that effect, but I don't wanna say that it's not the case. We just didn't get that feedback that uh, you know, that it was a property management issue. Okay, that's what I had for now. What I can add to both of those questions, good question. Um, um, what I really enjoyed about this um, presentation is he came back with all the stuff Kelly and Dan and I have been talking about. Oh, these are problems we have, and he kind of says it all, and, the, and he doesn't care what the political consequences are for you. You have to make that decision. He's just telling you what, what's there. But on the, um, the hotel, um, we, we've heard, heard and read the comments separately on our own. Um, it, it, Embassy Suites, fine, but it, it's, it's not the experience that an upper echelon exec is looking for and what have you. It's, it's probably pushing 40 years old, quite frankly. And so um, that, that, you know, that's not a slam on Embassy Suites or anyone else. The uh, B and C space, um, you know, from a code enforcement standpoint, we don't have any complaints or anything like that. I, I think probably some of the challenge with a lot of those is just simply going to be the design aesthetics of them and the layout of them. The columns in the wrong spot went for them to be able to redo. So I don't, I don't think there's any. You know, sometimes it's, it's just um, a function of the the design of them and, and they, they don't meet the needs when there isn't that much demand and, and there's better options. So that, that would be my guess. I don't know. Is it also an upgrade of technology for BNC? Yeah, but even just, just even basic, th I mean, you could put Wi-Fi in them, but you know, what we've heard through the years, just literally where the columns are and the air handler exchanges and the low ceilings and lack of natural light, natural just light a, a number of functions that often you can't even can't rehab your way out of.
as you were looking to uh, develop, uh, to fill those properties, uh, was your goal to fill it with the best possible thing or was it, uh, the answers I heard were uh, quick solutions to empty, uh, empty parcels and, and, you know, I want to make sure that the choices we make now we uh, are happy to live with in 10 or 20 years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's a balancing and that's really a policy discussion for you all on how long you want to wait on some of these. I think in the former PNG campus, I think your current zoning is pretty close to what some people would like to build up there and what there's demand for. That might just be some slight tweaks. So I don't think you're giving away um, anything up there. That could be just some refinements. I think in downtown, we're looking at something that's very consistent with what's already been proposed in your vision. Obviously, I think Summit Park becomes more of this open palette. And do you want to wait five years and see if maybe we do get a corporate headquarters in there because Summit Park's growing, there's more momentum, and just somebody comes in there? You know, we, we just can't predict how long that's going to be. There's no magic formula or algorithm to say, if you wait this long, you're going to stumble into a Fortune 500 company that wants to put up their headquarters because it's by this great park and amenity. Um, so it's a little bit of a balancing act of how you want to approach that. And you know, there's no easy discussion there and easy answer. And that's why we said make the, you know, make the developer, put it on them to prove through analysis and through some kind of agreement, what are you going to put in this space? How are you going to program it? And uh, do you have a mix of uses that's going to either create jobs, which is ideal, or bring more people that will have spin-off development and make it attractive for, you know, the next corporate client that comes in? The second question I have, and it may not be part of the scope of your um, study, um, as I think about uh, people working from home, I, I don't think that Blue Ash is competing with the uh, den, we're competing with Mason and Sharonville and, and all the other suburban communities. Some people have to come to their office. And so uh, my desire, our desire is that they work in Blue Ash and somebody else has empty offices. Um, but from your data, it looks like we're not competing well against the broader suburban market. Are we missing something or why? I, I think some of it is just perception that you know, you have a little bit of dated product, and it certainly shows in the numbers for the B and C, B space and, you know, the Cs. Um, some of it just being that some of these areas have got these hipper, newer, mixed-use type developments. And obviously, Summit Park is that, so I don't want to um, detract, you know, that's keep doing what you're doing there, and hopefully more people locate within proximity to that. Um, I, I think, you know, from there, it's, it's just tough. You do have a lot of office space, and it, it, a lot of people told us we want to be downtown, be by the airport in northern Kentucky, be in Blue Ash. And, you know, those were kind of the three locations traditionally where office just went to. And now you're trying to fill up a lot of space. And, you know, as far as where the market's going to go, yeah, certainly, you know, I think we all read the news and see some people say, hey, you know, as soon as um, job market gets tougher, companies are going to require people to come there and they're going to have to get their butts back to work in an office nine to five. I will say, though, that we know all that space is not coming back just because certain companies are using the work from home or hybrid models as an employee retention tool, and they're getting talent that way. So it's a balance. To summarize your answer, or, or maybe what I'm hearing from your answer, tell me if it's right, is that we're competing well, but we just have so much of the product, it's really hard to fill it anyway. Um, I, I agree with that completely. Okay. I've been hearing a lot about 
communities converting office space into residential. Um, and I'm curious about, is, is that maybe one of the suggestions here is being able to find different uses for some of it? Yeah, it's a great question. It did come up and there were, this was a topic where we had some mixed opinions as far as, because your space, like if you literally talk about a B or a C, and I think David made a great point on the C spaces especially, you're talking about a building that's just functionally, architecturally obsolete. There's not much you can do with it. So at that, for an office to make it desirable. So at that point, well, does that lend itself well to apartments or condos? We've seen that certainly in urban cores, your downtowns, that's happened all over. We know there's an example taking place on the west side of town, um, I think it's Springfield Township, where someone's going forward with that. Not, you know, and some people brought up that, hey, that's not proven yet, that's a project that's underway, but we don't know how that's gonna do. So I don't wanna have a firm recommendation on that because it's kind of a, it's a new idea, it's outside the box, it should certainly be considered, um, but it's not like we can point to a local example where people just ate that up. And I think a lot of times there are challenges, like David said, you know, there's not enough windows, the plum there's not enough plumbing every place, you know, there are just a lot of um, difficulties to overcome that are very expensive and they're just not well suited. You know, maybe if it's an older building with the high ceilings and, and that kind of thing, it's more adaptable. Right. And some people, a couple um, did make the comment that on the really like dated class C office product, that might eventually become a candidate for knock it down and then build residential mm -hmm. that's new. Some were skeptical on whether you could rehab to uh, convert. Well, I'm, I may be going down the same road, but so we have to kind of get our mindset around that residential may be an economic, more of an economic driver in the future that may continue. And we have to make think that residents aren't always costing the city money to service. The residents oftentimes are working there and it's gonna look like it's gonna be a continuation as time goes on. Yes, I would say that eloquently said. Be a question for David. When was the last time we did our comprehensive plan? Oh, I think eight years ago or so. And, and it's a good point. Uh, I don't know that. I think Kelly said seven? 27. 27. What's that? Six years ago. Um, so we probably ask, if there's a time to update that. And I would say, I, you can, but I, I don't think that's a major issue. We're built out. You spend more time doing this plan and deciding what you want to do. I think you probably would be better off spending time strategically addressing some of these issues that may lead to some land use plan adjustments, if that makes sense. But I think you address the broader issue of do we accept more residential? Do we, um, you know, do we accept more entertainment and you know things that we didn't in the past? We could be choosing. You know, do we continue to understand more what that is? And you use the phrase, okay, residence services cost money. There may still be a uh, an analysis that says, well, yeah, residence makes sense to help with some of those amenities, but but of a certain density or size, like. Mm -hmm. We can't have 10 acre per person, you know, per house or something. Okay, well, that doesn't make sense. And um, so you probably just need to flush into a lot of that. But I think you start with kind of working, because I think Brian was even touching on something. It's like working the big picture stuff. And, and some of that might be a challenge for you to balance 
you know, today's perception and today's political preferences versus market reality. And, and you know, that's your job to say, well, market reality isn't going to support that, but the residents aren't going to support this. And so we'll do nothing and just put on the issue for 10 years. And that's, that's what he's hitting at. You can do that. That's, that is a decision. Um, we'll just wait it out. Uh, maybe these rundown buildings become vintage then, and then they're going to be historical um, <laughs> rebuilding projects. Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll use an example. You know, we, we um, so, so two things. You have certainly something more concrete. You have the hotels, and you said maybe candidate to move, remove some of that and remove some of that and replace it with something that's not going to be amazing and great, but it just it takes that inventory out of there and it opens up that market or a higher end one that feels more comfortable coming in or something like that. Another example, I know it was um, um, met with a major thud. You know, you had the, the developer try to be creative with the Moeller football field and the thing. And the, now, I don't know whether that would have been the right answer, but perhaps to his point, spend time studying what is the benefit of that. Learning more may have still said, no, this isn't the right project, but we would have learned some things from that. Then maybe we would have said, okay, but maybe something like this similar, if that makes sense to you. So I think that's probably where we're gravitating towards on that site. You need to think about it or to say, no, we don't want to do anything. Um, if, if we had the answer, if he had the answer, he would have suggested it. And if staff, we had the answer, we would have told you. But um, here's here's the thing you should do. You should put a bunch of X, Y, and Z there. And I think that's what we're struggling with. So you're going to have to deal with these creative solutions like uh, the molar thing, even if you know, even if it doesn't work out. Um, the other thing is, uh, you bring up a great point about jobs. I don't think there's a surrender on jobs here. It's just I think the reality right now is we don't get to pack one job per five square foot and get that really high taxable value. Now, and, and Blue Ash has always had a, per, a percentage of blue collar, gray collar jobs, um, particularly in the North District. You know, we've had tool and die companies, what have you. And so there's newer versions of them and we get RFPs on them. So we just probably have to embrace some more of that. And maybe that's what some of that BNC office space gets converted to in the right areas. It's not, you know, not every area is the right area for it. We just have to probably sit down, work through that. What are we as a group willing to kind of start thinking of? But I think it's a great blueprint for us to get started and work through that and, and break it down into bite-sized pieces. David, what's the CIC process? Uh, have we used that before or no? I would say for purposes of tonight, it's it's a potential tool, but I wouldn't worry about it. I think you got to deal with a bigger, broader picture, and that's just an implementation tool on that particular property if we have to go to the next route, is what I would say, and we can learn more about what that is, and why the benefit to that is. Um, sometimes there might be a holding tax benefit to it, the transition benefit and what have you. There might be a liability benefit on a contaminated property. It may not be the perfect solution for that. We probably just need to work through that. But I, I would focus more on just driving around the community and saying, well, how else do we continue being relevant? And, uh, incentive? and to be clear, we're not saying develop anything just because you can't get the other stuff and just accept new development. But it's just understand that um, there's a great line by um, uh, a futurist, uh, what's his name, Richard Florida or something like that. And I think I forwarded some of his stuff to you. He says, the pandemic did not necessarily start a lot of these trends. It accelerated a lot of these trends. And as you, you saw, that office problem was a problem 
several years before, and it's just gotten accelerated. And, and, and you know, just as much as we love that ghost, we're just going to have to figure out how to supplant that and understand what the new reality is. And it may not just be as rich per acre as it was before. Right, but if we, you know, we've talked about all of these issues, as you said, you know, I don't know that there's anything new about this, but it's just kind of articulating it all into one document to really talk about. But, you know, the, the properties that are more the flex industrial laboratory, things like that, statistically, a vast number of those employees have to work. There may not be as many of them, but they have to work on site, and that's an important Thing. And again, just the idea that we need to continue adding amenities, I think, in our community to make it an attractive place for people to want to locate their companies and then, you know, kind of focus. Like we've heard about the need for nicer restaurants and, you know, and, and enhanced walkability and so forth. You know, there are just a lot of the things we've always been thinking about. So I'm sure you and the staff hear this and have a whole big long list of things that, oh, maybe we need to look at and maybe we need to look at. and. One of them that struck me is is maybe we need to consider uh, putting a significant investment into connectivity around Summit Park sooner than later. I know we have a, a long-term plan for it, but maybe we need to look at making a more significant early investment instead of piecing those together, especially if there are properties that we need to, to activate better or something. Oh, when <clears throat> I have one thing to ask is this. Is this any time that somebody talked about giving incentive to employer to bring employee back to the work? Because there was a, in my, uh, my son's business, there was a one employer of Blue Ash that we were talking about. And I asked him, I said, hey, if you give an incentive, would you bring your workers back? He says, yeah, come on down. How much money are you going to give me? <laughs> so does anybody come across like that? Anybody talked about it? Is it possible? That's a fascinating idea and a creative approach that did not come up in any of the discussions. I'm not f familiar personally with a case study where somebody's done that from a municipal standpoint to say, hey, you're, you have a remote workforce right now. Bring them back. You're already paying rent. Just get them back in the office. You know, it's kind of the same principle as a job creation or job retention grant um, where you're taking a percentage of payroll and saying, hey, yeah. you get that back, basically. And there's all sorts of, you have a lot of flexibility in how you could do that. Um, I can't say I've seen it where, you know, the workforce is remote and now we're paying you to just bring them back into the office. It, again, based on your municipal revenue streams that we saw, we suspect, we don't know this, but some of the people who are working from home and have their company located in Blue Ash, we suspect for whatever reason, it might just be the, uh, you know, the credits with the income tax and how that does or doesn't work in their benefit. They might still be paying here to the city, I suspect, on some of those jobs. Would that be fair? The revenues don't match the 66% decline in those particular office buildings. Now, two things going on. One is yes. Those, those, those office buildings, those people are still showing up several days a week, so they just still submit for the tax. Maybe they later ask for a portional reimbursement. And then the second part, is, 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 is um, I indicated before, there really is a lot of non-office uh, things going on. We did gain some people who are now moving into these mixed-use buildings that are filing taxes. So, 
yeah, there's a combination of things going on that doesn't always have a direct correlation to some of that data. Um, our traffic counts are still about 20% less than pre-pandemic, but they were 50, 60%. So the traffic counts picked back up. Whoever, so whoever's driving, all the people working at home apparently are spending all day driving to <laughs> Dairy Queen and, and eating or something like that. So. But it's still not 100% even with, so even though his numbers looked a lot starker than what we're observing in the traffic, the traffic counts are still down. In this, especially in this job market right now, I've heard a lot of sentiment where people have gotten so comfortable and used to working from home, and if you say we're gonna force you to come back five days a week, a lot of people will go find another opportunity. So not everyone, but I don't think that's perhaps a right area to focus on is trying to force people to come back, at least not anytime soon. I think an approach might be more what Jill was indicating, that is, you know, dealing with those, more of those companies that, that, that it's a function. You have to come in to design, fix, build, whatever. You know, we, we're not gonna live exclusively on that, but you know, you just maybe need to focus more on that. Or healthcare. We need more dentists in town. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and pizza places too, that too. <laughs> and I, I think to your point, um, Councilwoman, there is, you know, focusing on makers is kind of the new buzzword, but people who are doing something tangible. There are also, besides the people making the widgets, which obviously is less and less, there's more automation, there are sometimes mechanical engineers that are in that office and oversee a floor, or somebody who has to program the machine that automates, you know, right. there's fire and safety people. Or contractors, you know, anybody. But, you yeah. know, they have to have a presence in their Yeah, in so it's not workplace. just low-end jobs right. or things being automated. There are some, you know, higher-end jobs. There. Definitely. Thank you. Great the, presentation. Thank you. Really the takeaway is it used to be easier, right? So <laughs> it's just not as easy. So um, one, one other quick update. Uh, Perfect with this, restaurants and more live after five. And even I know last month our um, citizen survey said restaurants and gathering places and council last month uh, uh, approved the um, concept of uh, Mad Tree. Just want to give you a heads up that we continue to work through that. Um, the uh, one, one tool that we might be adding, similar to him, his suggestion on the CIC, is uh, running the deal through the Port Authority. Uh, this is something we've done, not in this exact format, but we've done it on some other projects for bonding and what have you. But it, it may, it looks like it's opening up some tax saving opportunities as well as some construction savings, as well as it simplifies some bidding process for them. So we, we may, we're gonna start entering into discussion with the Port Authority and we'll come back. And what, what that means is we may end up voiding the Mad Tree contract and entering a contract with the Port Authority who then will take our contract and it'll be a pass-through for the, for the reasons I said. Um, Montgomery's currently even using the port for the, um, I think, is it the Montgomery Station or Quarter, whatever quarter. it's called? Quarter. Quarter. quarter yeah. Um, so it's, it's just a tool. It doesn't change anything substantively for you. It's, you know, you're still committing to the amount. We haven't, um, you know, the amount, uh, the return and all that. It's just simply a pass-through that allows some of those um, tax and construction saving opportunities, or more accurately, allows us to not incur 
ever-increasing costs by doing some of that stuff. So if there's any questions, feel free to give me a call. Otherwise, just give me a heads up on that. And that's all I have, Your Honor. If we dealt with the Port Authority, which has to be watched like a hawk anytime they're used, would we be making sure that, that when we talk about tax savings, it's just tax savings on the building construction and, and not costing us tax revenue for a 30-year period? Well, the, yeah, the, the port of tax revenue, the port authority would not have any taxing authority on the project at all, so there would not be any tax revenue loss. What I'm just referring to are, are other is other projects the port authority has been involved with, where basically they just they become the owner of the whatever, whether it's a building or a stadium, and then at, then because they're the owner and they're quasi government, then property taxes. Uh, don't come from that facility. I would just want to make sure that that no taxes. I don't know how the property tax thing would even work since it's on our land, though it's used for a commercial purpose. But I, I would just want to make sure anything we do with the Port Authority ultimately does not cost us tax revenues. The Port Authority, as you said, um, will not own the property, nor do they have taxing authority on the project. So, so we would not lose anything that we'd be watching for. We would not lose any taxes, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Correct, yeah. Now, I don't know what you mean by that, that the, the property is is um, going to be tax, subject to taxation because it's a private use, just like our existing restaurants. But other than that, the Port Authority is not going, we're not going to, we're actually going to gain tax, I guess is the answer, because it's now going to be subject to taxation and now it's, tax exempt as a park property. So yeah, the, 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 I guess I'll just restate. You've got me confused on the question, but there's just no taxing authority by the Port Authority in the city of Blue Ash, so. Good. Kelly? Nothing. Julie? Nothing. Yeah, just uh, quickly uh, update you on the roundabout project at Plainfield and Hunt. Um, the project is in the final stages of completion, so they're working on the pavement markings now, and uh, that should be wrapped up hopefully by the end of this week if weather permits uh, or into early next week. And then they're also installing all the street lights. So um, we're wrapping up that project. Hopefully it'll be done in the next two weeks. Um, and then that's why the barrels are still there. Obviously people see that the pavement markings are down, but uh, the contractor still needs that space to install the street lights on the sides of the road, so um, that's coming to a close. And then um, our paving program has started uh, Lake Forest. They're doing some curb work, and uh, they'll soon be doing uh, asphalt paving. Um, Hazelwood will be fully repaved that entire neighborhood, so um, amongst some other areas, but that's all I have. Brian Cruz. Just thanks to everybody in all the departments that helped out with the 4th of July. It's just, once again, just another great event. It was very, very well, well attended. Uh, perhaps our, I think our attendance was spread out better than it ever has been. At 5 o'clock, I think we were busier than we've ever had been in the past. Weather was great. And just tremendous help to Fire PD, Public Works, Facilities Maintenance, Parks and Rec. I mean, everybody just pulling together on a great day, have a safe event, and you know, kind of be on stage for the region is pretty important to everybody. So appreciate everybody and your support. Chief Feeders, nothing tonight. Jamie? Gary? Noel? Rachel? Dan? 
<laughs> He's old Pete's. Counselor Pacheco. Jeff? Uh, just a big thank you to all the city workers who made the red, white, and blue ash go. It was a great event, and um, a lot of thanks needs to go to the ones that are out there doing the work. Those of us who were under the tent had it easy. Jill? I'd like to echo that, too. Just thanks for everybody. I know it is an all-hands-on affair, and uh, we really appreciate uh, this wonderful gift that we give to the greater community. And, and uh, again, a thanks to Cheryl for agreeing to serve um, and on one of our boards. We really, really appreciate it, and we value all of our citizens who are able and willing to contribute. So thanks. That's all. Brian? Blue Ash is great. We live <laughs> in a great community. we got a great staff. We have a pretty good council. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I just, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to, to be here. Thank you. Okay. Katie. Katie. Red, white, and blue ash was phenomenal. Collective soul was a great choice. And uh, thanks to echo what everyone else has said. I know it's a lot of work, multiple days, and it, it, it was great to be there and to experience that. And you could feel the energy, and everyone coming out to blue ash was amazing. Thanks for, for all the work from all the, <clears throat> every team that put effort in. Lee? My comments are very similar. Uh, my compliments to all of the administration. Everybody puts in a lot of time and effort into the 4th of July. So many really loves it. So keep up the good work. Thank you. A um, couple quick things. The red, white, and blue ashes, what everybody said, was smashing and smooth success. Oh, i got to get to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Vice Mayor Javeri. When you are next, we can see that. <laughs> no, I say my colleague, like everyone, uh, the administration done a great job. Uh, people really enjoyed it. And I have seen that uh, this was the maximum crowd that I have seen. Um, and then people were just really enjoyed it and great job to the administration. And then uh, another thing, thanks Cheryl to continue on the board. I really appreciated your work. And uh, any update uh, on the tower? Because we already passed the money in and everything where we are standing. Is that possible? Somebody can share? Tower. Tower. Uh, yeah, I would actually say from. Provide, you want me to? Sure. Yeah, just real briefly, we're getting much closer with the design. Actually, I made actually good timing to ask because I feel like where we're at with the design and us giving approval for them to kind of finish things up. Um, we're, our hope is that construction will start on it before the end of the summer, and it doesn't sound like it's going to be more than a few, several months to complete. So uh, without being able to give you a hard date right now, we feel pretty confident that it would be probably wrapped up in this winter. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's all, Mayor. Okay, now I'll go. No, you can't. <laughs> um, as Aral said, thank you for Red, White, and Blue Ash. It was fantastic. Um, I got a call from a county commissioner uh, to compliment the police department, um, in particular, um, Allison Sheely. Uh, the commissioner broke down and Allison was there to help her and was not only kind but professional. 
And she said it was such a wonderful interaction that she could not call and just say thank you to the police department. So I wanted to pass that along. Um, we're going to move into executive session for personnel matters to consider the appointment, employment, dismissal, discipline, promotion, demotion, or compensation of a public employee or official. Do I have a motion? So move. Amy, will you please call the roll? Councilman Capel? Yes. Councilwoman Cole? Yes. Councilwoman Schneider? Yes. Councilman Zerwanka? Yes. Vice Mayor Javeri? Yes. Councilman Gath? Yes. Mayor Serkin? Yes. Seven yes. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Tell you what.